does it taste good? And does it make you smile when you eat it? And if the answer is yes, then yes, it is good enough and it doesn't matter about the rest. It's So, you know, finding that confidence, I think, is probably where I found that voice to be louder and clearer. This is The Crackling. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Learning to cook, long hours, mastering technique and gaining the confidence of your craft is one thing. But understanding restraint on the plate and cooking with heart is something altogether different. For Jackie Chalinor, food is about flavour first and the rest will sort itself out. Well, Jackie, it's been a pretty big year and you finally opened Nomad in Melbourne. What's it like being down there? Amazing. Um, it was such a long-awaited thing, you know, like so many years in the making getting to this point that it was all pretty surreal, um, to be honest, opening it. I think opening night, we had our soft opening, so it was all family and friends and, you know, our nearest and dearest and everybody kept saying to me, how does it feel? And I was like, I don't know. (laughs) It was just, I just felt totally numb. Like it was just really, really, really super surreal. And I think on the second night it started to sink in a bit more and it probably wasn't for about a week that I really sort of stood back and said, ah, okay, cool. (laughs) We did this. Go team. Um, But it's been incredible. Like it's just, you know, once the dust sort of settled a little bit and I sort of settled into my new place, um, just exploring and being in a new city and eating at new restaurants and meeting new people and just how incredibly welcoming the Melbourne hospitality community has been to us. It's just, it's been so lovely to be down here. It's just like feeling a bit like a new person. It's been amazing. Had you spent a lot of time in Melbourne and and what's your, what's the experience been like? Has Has it surprised you? Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd always done, you know, the hospo fly in, fly out, visit Sunday, Monday. Um, and just, you know, I think the most I've ever spent down here is two or three nights at a time. So spent a fair bit of time down here. I come down here pretty frequently, but not never an extended sort of period. Um, so you always end up eating at the same restaurants because there's only so many that are open on those Sunday, Monday. So it's been awesome to be able to come down here and eat at all the places that you never kind of really got a chance to to visit and, you know, just being like, I, I love to run. So I, you know, just setting out for a run and checking out a new suburb every weekend and going to a different, Melbourne loves a patisserie and a bakery. <laughs> so that's been great. I love that about Melbourne. Um, so just, you know, like just going for a run and checking out somewhere new every weekend. It's just, it's been amazing. It's, I think Melbourne does, the suburbs seem to be, I I don't know if it's just because I'm somewhere new and it's exciting and it's something different to look at, but there seems to be a lot more going on outside of the CBD um, than what you kind of find in Sydney. Um, So I've loved that just kind of getting out and eating. Basically I'm eating my way around Victoria. That's my mission. Nomad in Sydney is is, you know, an incredible beast and big part of the culinary landscape there and in in many ways a a very Sydney restaurant too. How different is Melbourne uh, Nomad to the city one, Sydney one? 
So different. I still, it still doesn't feel like home to me yet. Um, it, it looks totally different. Um, it's about half the size. Well, the footprint would be less than half the size, but we seat about the same, about 50% of what we do in Sydney. Um, the space is totally different. It's kind of that subterranean Melbourne basement vibe going on a little bit. Um, the kitchen still is open and a really central part of the dining room, but it's a lot more, I would call it a lot more polished and kind of refined to, than what a Sydney dining room looks like, um, which is kind of what we love about it. And it was always the intention to have it be different. We've always said that we didn't want to just do Nomad Sydney in Melbourne. We wanted to create something for Melbourne you know, unique to that, but still carry on, you know, like the theme and bring down the heart and soul of what we do in the kitchen and the service up in Sydney, but bring that down, but make it look a little bit different and shake it up a bit. So I think we were very successful in that. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a beautiful space to sit in. It's cozy and it's the kitchen's still there. I think the thing that made me feel like home was when I was walking up Flinders Lane and I could smell the smoke out on the street. And I was like, okay, we're in Nomad now. I get it. <laughs> there it is. Well, um, cooking with fire is at the heart of, of what you do. And, but has the food, is the food different to Sydney? Are you cooking differently there? Um, yes, but no, it, I think with the, the smaller dining room and the smaller kitchen, it's it's sort of given us a chance to to make the refinements that I think I've always wanted to do but haven't really had the chance to do in Sydney. Um, I think if you've eaten at Nomad Sydney, you'll recognise the food and, you know, it's. I think it's still unmistakably Nomad. Um, there's a lot of – the signature dishes from Sydney are still here, um, but we've kind of, you know, where we can tweak or change the product to suit – local or buy from a, like, you know, a local producer we have done. So, you know, our Barata dish in Sydney that we do with the fennel jam and the Alto olive oil, which I won't give up because it's the best. <laughs> um, but the cheese, we swap cheese makers. So up in Sydney, we use vanilla, which is a, you know, a cheese maker based in Marrickville and they do incredible, incredible Barata. Um, and, you know, I toyed with the idea of bringing it down here and using it, but it just, it didn't seem right. Um, and you know, the mission from there was finding a cheesemaker down here that did something that was just as great. And we found one and it's incredible. And I hate to say it cause I love vanilla, but <laughs> I actually like this burrata better. Um, sorry, vanilla. <laughs> uh, no, the, you know, it's like, there's, it's just, it's been really cool to be able to get down here and, and fish around and, and see what's going on down here locally. I think that, there's there's so much in such close proximity. It's just to to be able to buy from all these different little farmers and growers and producers and stuff. They're just they're everywhere. It, it, that's been something that's been really incredible about being down here. And I think I missed a bit of an opportunity. The intention was to come down, and I was prior to lockdown coming down once a week to do the staff recruitment thing and you know go out and visit farms and all that sort of stuff. And I lost that opportunity um with the lockdowns and so it was kind of a bit of a scramble as soon as the borders open I was like quick let's get down there and three weeks later we open the restaurant um 
so yeah, um, I didn't get that chance to kind of invest as much time as I would have liked to getting out there and, and, and meeting people and finding great products. Um, so that's sort of been a bit of a process when we opened is filtering some of those people out and meeting new people and finding new things to put on the menu. So it's been, it was, it's been a whirlwind, but it was, it's been fun. It's been fun. You only need to spend a few seconds on social media and you'll see a photo of the pork cutlet dish that, that you've put on the menu there. It's become pretty popular. Tell us a bit about it. That was um, my wonderful head chef, Brendan. Um, he, he took on a lot of, um, that search for product that I couldn't necessarily do, um, up in Sydney and he's got a really, really keen eye for, and a dedication for quality. And, you know, it's been great to have him on side and, and be able to do all that. So he told me about this pork cutlet. He fished it out and found it, um, and he tried it and he's like, it's amazing. You've got to try it. So that was the top of my list as soon as I got down here. And um, I think that dish is a really kind of beautiful representation of the way that he and I have been working together. Um, the golden raisin and caper salsa is one of my recipes and we use it up in Sydney with a lamb dish. And I just, I love it. It's one of my favorite things. And, you know, he was talking about this pork cutlet and I wanted to use the salsa and it just kind of, came together and turned into this dish that everybody's loving down here. And I love, um, the pork is incredible. Um, it's coming from Ravens Creek farm, which is out Geelong way, I believe. Um, and our meat supplier is dry aging it for us for about three to four weeks. And we're cooking it just really simply over the fire. And it's, it's so good. It's so good. It's just, yeah, I think just that beautiful, smoky, salty pork paired with that, you know, that sweet golden raisins and there's anchovies in there and chili and it's just, it's just a very, it's a match made in heaven, I think. Um, and, yeah, it's just, it's, people are loving it. It's great. When you're cooking with the elements like fire and, and something like a pork chop, like how, how do you know when it's at its optimum and ready to would take off and serve? I think the good thing about the f- the fire that we've got up here, it's more of a hearth style um, as opposed to the grill pit that we've got up in Sydney. And it kind of functions as an oven just because of all the insulation and everything. And it's just, it's so great to cook on. So the guys are basically just doing the crackling and just like kind of like really sort of gently and slowly doing that skin side down up high um, and because you've got that ambient heat up there, it's sort of serving as an oven. So basically it's sort of create the crackling and get that really right. And then sealing the pork and just like the flesh side and just sort of cooking that through. Um, so it's just the, the structure of the oven and the way that it works and all that insulation, just the, the hearth, sorry, it, it's just sort of doing the job for you really. Um, so it's just getting that crackling, the all important crackling, right? Um, and then just sort of finishing it off flesh side on the fire. So it's it's been a dream to cook on. One of the uh, keys to nomad experience as well is the charcuterie that you make in-house. Uh, tell us a bit about how yes. that program started and what it's been like and the challenges in making your own charcuterie. 
So I, I mean, the charcuterie program was what drew me to Nomad eight years ago um, with Nathan. He, you know, we'd worked together previously at Felix and he called me up and told me about this restaurant that he was opening up and, you know, just started talking about the cheese and the charcuterie and all this stuff. And I was like, wow, that's, that sounds like fun. Um, and, you know, I, I learnt from Nathan um, at Nomad all those years ago and then I kind of passed that on to the guys that I was working on and it ended up landing in the hands of Sam, who is our head chef up in Sydney, and to his, like, credit, he just took it and ran with it and he's made it better than what it ever was or ever possibly could be like, he's just, you know, he's read the books and he spent the time. He's just, it's, it's like his passion project. And, you know, I haven't touched it myself in such a long time because Sam's just turned it into his baby. And it's like, he's just done such an incredible job with it. And it blows me away when I try it because it's just, it's so good. I've never had anything like in that sense that good. Um, He's just, I, He's just done such an incredible job with it. Um, And so, yeah, it's not easy. Um, Things go wrong and, you know, you lose product and you kind of, you can control it as far as you can possibly control it. But sometimes, you know, something in the initial stages might have touched something that contained a bit of bacteria and, you know, from there it ends up spoiling a product and you don't know it until the it's it's finished so it requires patience and it requires a lot of love and I don't have patience which is probably why Sam did such a good job with it um but yeah it it definitely presents its challenges it's time consuming and especially in a beast like Nomad Sydney finding the time to do it and maintain it and keep on top of it is difficult so the fact that they have maintained it and done such a good job of it. I think, you know, it, it's such a credit to the team up there. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just something it's special to nomad and it's something that, you know, I never really want to compromise on and I never want to let go of because it just, you know, you can get charcuterie everywhere and anywhere, but what we do is unique. Um, and it's just a really important part of, the team and, you know, giving somebody and young chef something different to kind of look at and learn. And it's, you know, I think that's a pretty special aspect of what we do. You've become one of Australia's most influential natural uh, cooks that cooks with uh, instinct and, and heart um, first. Thank you. Um, <laughs> that's a very nice of, thing of, to say. <laughs> of a technique. Um, but where did it all start? What was the lure for you to come into the industry? Um. I always wanted to either be a nutritionist or a food stylist, never wanted to be a chef. Um, I've always loved food and grown up around it and always had a bit of a keen interest for it, but it was never chefing that excited me. Um, And Miss Mackerel, who was my food tech teacher in high school. Hi, Miss Mackerel, if you're out there. (laughs) She... I think like year 12, we would have been talking about um, where I was going. And, you know, I think she sort of said to me, you should be a chef or you should, you should pursue this because you're good at it. Um, And we sort of started discussing the food styling thing. I always wanted to get into magazines and do that. And I think she had a friend who worked 
for Women's Weekly at the time. And so she spoke to her and this lady had recommended that I do this TAFE course to just get a foot in the door. And so that's what I did. I enrolled in TAFE. I think it was a commercial catering course that I did. And it was great because it covered, you know, the food science side of things, which I really was super interested in. But it also had a practical day that we spent a day in the kitchen each week. And I ended up looking forward to that day the most every week. And that was, that was the fun bit. And I went on about it to my mates for a lot of time, but I was always too scared to get into the industry because it's a boys club. And that deterred me for a really long time. And eventually my best mate turned around and told me to shut up and stop whinging. And if I really wanted to do it, then I should just bite the bullet and do it. So I did. I went home and I started applying for jobs online and the first one that I applied for called me back and I went in for a trial and it was mine the next day. Um, So, yeah, it was never, you know, my parents didn't want me to get into it, um, you know, for all the obvious reasons of the hours and the pay and, you know, the the reputation that the industry has Um, and... I ignored them as children do <laughs> and, and here we are. What were some of the real key moments or restaurants that you, that you worked at that sort of guided uh, you as a chef? So I, my first job was at About Life, which now no longer exists, but they did kind of take over that whole organic whole food cafe scene for a while there. Um, and I often get a little bit of grief about the cafe beginnings, but, to be honest with you, I think that kind of really shaped me as a chef. I think like as a first year apprentice, I was working in the short order kitchen under another chef and she left after a couple of months and they didn't replace her. They just left me to do it. And as a first year apprentice to be running a short order kitchen by yourself and managing all of the prep that's involved with that, regardless of whether or or not like it was just bacon and eggs and steaks and stuff like that. It was still an incredible learning curve for me in the sense of time management and efficiency and relying on myself to get the job done, you know, instead of standing in a kitchen picking herbs as apprentices often do get lumped with, I was actually cooking. Um, And that job sort of extended out to, they had a cabinet with all these salads and, you know, ready to go things. And my job ended up extending out to managing that. And so I I was given creativity at a really early point in my, my start out. Um, And I was working by myself essentially. So that was invaluable. Like I learned so many chefs these days aren't creatively confident and to give someone that young and that green, um, that opportunity to do that is pretty amazing. And I think that that really sort of shaped the way that I worked um, in regards to speed and efficiency and, and getting things done. Um, but it also gave me a bit of a leg up in understanding how to match flavors as basic as they kind of were. Um, it let me experiment with that and sort of develop the way that I was going to cook. So that was, that was amazing. I like, I, I'm so grateful that that was how I started out. Um, 
And then from there, I went to Maryvale, was opening up Ivy all at that time. And I applied at Mag Cow, which was the steakhouse there under Chris Whitehead um, with Peter Doyle, I think was the exec chef at the time. And I remember my one of the chefs at About Life told me that I'd never make it and I'm stubborn. So that's just, that's, that's me turning around saying, righto, let me show you. Um, and I remember turning up, I had to do my trial at Est because Mad Cow wasn't open at the time. And I freaked out. I remember standing out the front and thinking, you've come from a cafe. You can't walk into a three hat restaurant. And like, what are you thinking? You crazy person. Um, and I stood out the front and I called my dad and I was like, dad, I can't do this. Like what? I can't, like, I'm not good enough for this. And he was like, my, you know, your dad's always your biggest fan. And he was like, what are you talking about? Like, you, you're never going to know unless you try. So just pipe down, get in there and do it and get it done. And I remember being in there and so I'm colorblind. Um, and I was picking herbs and one of the, I was picking, I mean, I never had to pick herbs in a cafe. Like you just, wash the bunch and chop the bunch um and I was picking chervil and I was picking the yellow chervil and not realizing that it was off color and dead and I remember this apprentice coming up to me and he was like what are you doing I'm gonna tell chef you're never gonna get this job and I was like whoa and I remember being like I'm so sorry please don't tell chef please don't tell him and I totally freaked out and I thought I was never gonna get the job and then I I had entered a cooking competition at TAFE and I won it. And my dad was like, because I didn't hear back from Chris for like a week or something like that. My dad was like, why don't you send in the certificate? You know, show him that you're not, you know, you're good. And so little old me scanned the certificate and sent it to Chris. <laughs> I was like, please, can I have the job? Um, and he called me back straight after and he offered me the job. So that was my first restaurant job and, that that was that was amazing like I that is the kitchen that I always refer to and I always think of as you know my little home um I worked there for three and a half years I finished my apprenticeship there and it was like a kitchen family like we just Chris was I'll never be able to speak highly enough of that man like he just he taught me and it it still took me a long time to figure it out as well but what it was like or how it, how you should behave as a manager, um, how you should treat your team, how you should te- treat the people that work with you. Um, and, you know, like I, I'm not going to stand here and say I've always gotten it right because I haven't, and it took me a long time to find my feet and become a better manager, but he is he's the shining light in that sense. He's a gentleman and he's a beautiful cook and, you know, like I learned a lot from being in that kitchen um so that's you know I hold that place in such high regard and that man and that team it was just you know it's it it was just a really beautiful experience um and then I went to work at Felix with Loz and Sebastian um that was crazy Uh, I think that was my first introduction to you know high volume and big numbers and that was just insane um but you know learnt a lot and then I went to Zanthi and worked with Dave Sarekis. Um And that was where I learnt about, like, food with soul. Um, and, you know, like, Dave, 
Dave's food, it's not he, he he taught me that it doesn't matter what food looks like. All that matters is what it tastes like. And I remember walking into that kitchen and he doesn't have recipe cards or he didn't back then. And I was like, he would be like, make this. And I was like, okay, cool. Where's the recipe? And he's like, I don't have one. Just make it taste nice. And to put that much trust in chefs, like that's, that's crazy. And not a lot of chefs would be able to do it and get it right. Um, I certainly wouldn't like, I love my teams, but I certainly wouldn't invest like, you know, that much trust into that sort of thing. But he, I couldn't believe it that he did that. And it teaches you to train your palate and to taste things and to refine things and get things right. And that was, that was also invaluable to me. And, you know, that was where I got my first head chef role, um, which was amazing. Um, and, you know, Dave and I, that was, there was some really great lessons to learn in that restaurant and that, you know, that whole just cooking with love. Cause that's what Dave does. Um, and, you know, Dave's mum would make some of the food, like the domades and the katsubura, like, Dave's mom would cook that and bring it in. And I just don't think there's anything more beautiful than that kind of, you know, it, it was just, it was such a cool place to work and to learn from. And I just, I love that Dave is so passionately attached to the food that he cooks. Um, and so, yeah, I think that, that sort of rubbed off on me. I think, you know, cooking, like you said, cooking with instinct and love and honesty, there's, it's not a thing that you see a lot of these days. There's a lot of cooking with ego and that sort of stuff. And I just, you know, it's, that's a real, like, I like that's a really meaningful compliment to me for you to say that. Cause it just, you know, that's, that's how I always want to cook. Um, and that's how I, you know, any restaurant that I'm involved in, I, I want that to be the driving force behind the food. Um, I think that that's, you know, that's where you find longevity in restaurants. And, you know, I just think that's a really beautiful thing. Was there a moment or a dish where you found your voice on the plate? Um, gosh, I don't know. Um, it takes a really long time to figure it out. And I, you know, I only feel like, I only feel like I got good at what I do when I stopped drinking. Um, I think that's when I found the confidence in myself creatively. I think prior to that, I was just sort of, I was cooking for, you know, like I just, I wanted to please reviewers and I wanted to, you know, I wanted to fit in with the cool kids and the clicks in the industry because that's just, you know, and and I always doubted myself. I always never thought I was good enough and you have this imposter syndrome thing and what am I doing here? And and it wasn't until that happened that I started trusting my instincts and following them a little bit more and realising that maybe I, I do have my job for a reason and I have a place in the industry. And I think, you know, I don't know if there's a particular dish that I could pinpoint, but it, more of a kind of, a period in time where I started trusting myself and I think cooking for the right reasons and, and backing it. Um, I think, you know, you can, you have so many ideas sometimes and then you turn around and you think, 
Oh, but what's Terry Durant going to think of this? <laughs> is that, is this going to get me a hat? Is this going to like, is this good enough? Is this, you know, is this cool enough? Is this, and then it's just like, does it taste good? And does it make you smile when you eat it? And if the answer is yes, then yes, it is good enough. And it doesn't matter about the rest. It's so, you know, finding that confidence, I think is probably where I found that voice to be louder and clearer. Also at the heart of what you do is is quality produce and the connections that you make with producers. Do you have any stories of um, pig farmers and connections that you've had over the years? Oh, I always, always, always love the guys at Melanda Park. Um, you know, we've always, that was someone who I think Nate met and, you know, set up that connection. And we've always worked closely with them in Sydney with our charcuterie and stuff like that. Um so I don't know if I've got any fun stories around that, but they've, that's always been a really beautiful relationship that we've kind of had over the years, Matt and Sue, just, you know, take being able to take the team out there and visit the farm and just see the way that they interact with their pigs. It's just, you know, like you're happy selling that product because you can see how well the animals are treated and how much love and care and respect they put into growing their product. Um, you know, I think as someone who does cook with love and that regard for their food to be able to see the way that a product is treated and reared, um, I think is incredibly important. And as well to be able to take teams out there and see stuff like that. I think chefs always have this connection with food that maybe the front of house guys don't, uh, like maybe aren't, able to engage with as much as chefs are because chefs are so hands-on with the process from start to finish. Um, whereas the front of house guys often just see the finished plate. Um, so to be able to take the whole team out there and to see them be able to engage with the product from the ground up, essentially, um, there's a lot of value in being able to do that and setting up relationships with people directly to be able to, to do things like that. You finally got the doors open and nomad in Melbourne, and now you've got a, a, a bigger role with the with the two cities. What what what, what is your role yes. like now? And what are you loving about it? Um, I love not having to work in a kitchen every day. Um, <laughs> I, I I I got to a point where, like, don't get me wrong, I love cooking, um, but I don't love that day-to-day any more of it. What I find joy in these days is concepts and creativity and the whole picture um, and and trying to get better at being a leader and a mentor and creating happy spaces for chefs to be in where they're learning and growing and progressing their careers. And, you know, I still, you know, like I still am – I still will always want to be hands-on creatively with the restaurants. Um, but the day-to-day thing, I just like my brain doesn't want to handle that anymore. So that's what I love about my new role. I think as much as Nomad Sydney was always such a challenge for me just because of the volume and the scale of it, it was the same challenge day in and day out for eight years. You know, like I, I called the pass every day for, you know, more seven years after Nate left. And it's just the same thing day in, day out, constantly over and over and the same kitchen. And, you know, so it was, I 
didn't realize how badly that I was craving something different and to a different challenge. Um, and I think, you know, like Nomad Melbourne was the first, it was the first one that I, I did by myself, you know, like I think that that was important for me to set something up. Obviously, you know, Brendan is so heavily involved in it as well, but to start from the beginning and to design the kitchen from the beginning and open the restaurant from start to finish, it was just, yeah, it was just, that was a really special thing for me. So I love, I'm loving the challenge of a different type of creativity. Um, I love that I'm not working nights. (laughs) That's, that's lovely. Um, And yeah, I just, I just, it was time for me to push myself differently. So that's, that's what I love about the role. Um, that's, that's the most exciting thing for me. And especially with different things opening up, we've got another two venues on the way. Um, wow. Yeah. It's the role is getting very big very quickly. <laughs> um, but different concepts, which is really exciting for me. I think, you know, Nomad is something that I know and I know it's something that I'm good at and, it's exciting to have different things coming up that are totally not anything like Nomad and to be able to stretch my legs in that space and see what I can do, that's exciting. Wow, that sounds very exciting and very much looking forward to hearing what that is. Jackie, as always, love catching up with you. Thanks for being on The Crackling today to hear a bit of your story and can't wait to see what is to come for 2022. Thanks for having me. Sounds like a whole other podcast. <laughs> this is The Crackling, a Deep in the Weeds production in partnership with Porkstar. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we catch up with some of Australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes Australian pork so special.